from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University. This is Writer's Talk. I'm Doug Dangler. Today, I am joined by two of the student editors of The Ohio State University publication called The Journal, which I have to tell you guys, it makes it difficult to announce when you see The Ohio State University, <laughs> The Journal. Not easy to do. But welcome, Alex Strife and Tori Atkinson to Writer's Talk. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Great. Well, tell me about this publication. I know that it's been around for a while. I'm looking here at volume 35, number one, the spring-summer 2011 edition, fresh, hot off the presses. (laughs) Tell me about the background of it, when uh, you got involved, things like that. Well, almost fresh off the presses. We're, we're, about, we're about a week from having, having the thing in our hands. We are, but so, it's, it's coming. Yeah, it, it should be soon. So 35.1 will be out in the beginning of July. Um, but the journal's been around for about, probably around 30 years, maybe a little bit more. Um, it was founded by William Allen. Um, and over the, over the course of this time, it's been, it was handed over to Kathy Fagan and Michelle Herman, um, who were editors up until this, um, what will be the next issue when me and Tori will be taking over as, um, the, the editors, the editors of the magazine, um, <laughs> but, but, Kathy, but yeah, but Kathy and Michelle were the editors for around 20 years, something like that. Something like that. Um, yeah. So, years. so the magazine has been shaped pretty, pretty heavily by, by their aesthetic in there. Okay. And goals. you're, but you're taking over. Are you the first student editors of it then since the, the two faculty members have been doing it for a long time? Yes. Um, we are, yeah. we're pl- planning on moving it to a publication that's entirely run by the grad students in the MFA program. Okay. An MFA master of fine arts yes. at yes. Ohio state. And you're in the English department. Yes. And, uh, that means that you're writing, um, fiction, uh, prose, poetry. What all are you working on? Um, I, I, I write fiction, uh, mostly, um, I've recently tried my hand at poetry, which was an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm currently working on a novel, um, and I've done some short stories and some essays. Okay. But. And that's, so that's Alex Tory. Um, yes, I'm a, I'm a poet. I was accepted here to write poetry and that is ostensibly what I do. Okay. Um, ostensibly, ostensibly. There's really no, well, but you know. not really. What is poetry? Anyway, um, that's sort of like the freshman poetry workshop first day class question. What is poetry? Um, but I write poetry, and um, I'm working on my thesis now, um, which is going to be a, a book of poems, a manuscript. Um, currently, I have two titles. One of them is Oracle and Ecstasy, and then the other one is Wilderness of Flesh, which should give you some idea of what I'm up to or okay. into. Okay, so know. we probably won't be hearing any of your poems today <laughs> on, on the radio. Oh, I use good words, you know. This all very chaste. Okay. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear. Unless that, you look deeper. Well, right. yeah. too, don't get too deep. Um, but uh, yeah, our um, <clears throat> our move to this uh, graduate sort of run uh, staff is partially inspired by the fact that many MFA programs have journals and many, many very prestigious journals are run wholly by MFA students, uh, including journals like the Indiana Review, Cut Bank, um, the Southeast Review. Um, it's very common. Um, and I think that Kathy and Michelle, you know, they saw us and they saw, you know, that we have these, you know, differing aesthetics, that we have this desire to take the magazine. And really, I mean, the magazine's always been great, but to make it even more sort of current because we are sort of younger and I guess we are, you know, tapped into maybe what's going on in a way that's different, you know, than than how Kathy and Michelle have, have sort of been attached to it, you know. And so I think that that's been part of their motivation for handing it over to us. 
part of the motivation has also been financial yeah. um, with with recent budget budget cuts. Basically, this is an, an attempt to keep the magazine running um, <clears throat> because currently or we used to um, in years past, we used to have two two student editors that got paid to be the editors specifically. Um, and over the years, the amount of funding we've had for those positions has gradually gone to nothing, which is it cur- which is what it currently is. Um, so handing full control over to the grad students was a way for us to keep the magazine running and keep interest in it um, without without having the financial backing for the students. Um, the editorial the editorial control is now our, I guess, our sense of payment. If okay. That is a sort of payment. <laughs> Good. Well, so so I'm curious about that because you have this payment now as the editors, but what sort of restrictions do you have? How do you know? In terms of this should be a good idea, this is not a good idea. Where do you draw the line? What is, as an editor, your responsibility to keep that going? Um, you know, I'm not really sure. <laughs> could, so, could you repeat that again? Yeah. Do you have a manual that tells you what you should do as editors? How about oh, no. um, definitely not. <laughs> um, a little frightening. We're, we're going. We're going by our guts. Um, yeah, intestines, you know, they're very, you know, divination. This is a very common practice. Okay. You know, I just sort of take my own out and cast it on the ground and see what the future holds. But no, I, um, I have, I think that, um, because, you know, we both were readers for the magazine before we stepped into this, you know, position, we, we both have had, uh, you know, varying levels of professional de- uh, experience with other magazines prior to this. Um, I know Alex worked on the Missouri review before this and I worked, um, uh, for a magazine called Lana Turner and um, for my undergraduate literary magazine. And so I think that these experiences have given us some ideas of how to shape things, and how to do things. Um, I have, you know, I have a few maybe words in my mind when I read something that, you know, for me, it's more about the work itself and not about Alex, I think in a lot of ways has been handling the sort of the bigger picture things of how the issue is being shaped overall and how we are going forward and what we're doing in terms of our edit, our, in terms of our publishing schedule and all this. Um, and that's because Alex has been uh, an editor longer than I have. Um, and so I've sort of taken the lead with, we just launched a new website, um, the journal And um, I, we had been doing this website thing for a couple months and um, I felt we both felt that getting an online presence was really important. So um, it got to the point where it, I felt like it was time to launch the website. And I think Alex was a little bit tentative about it. And I was like, we'll just get the website on. And so we got it on. And there were some bumps, of course, when you launch a website, some typos, whatever. We got those fixed. And I started kind of like a viral marketing campaign, if I can even describe it as I don't think, I think that's probably too like. Kind Depends of, on how many people you've infected. Well, you know, so. I, I'm spreading the virus of literature. Okay. So, you know, with bites. It's, you know, it's fine. Um, But so I I made a new Facebook page and I posted things to Twitter and I'm really taking advantage of social media, you know, Tumblr, et cetera, to get the word out about the magazine. Um, Because I think that, you know, our old website essentially was like a page on the OSU English department. Yeah, it was kind of website and it's just kind of sad. It was hard to find. Um, it, It wasn't it wasn't exactly aesthetically pleasing. Um, so we, we've made a new website that I think both goes for aesthetics, um, as far as where we want to go with, um, the journal in the future, both online and in print. Um, we're planning on publishing exclusively online issues now, as well as the print issues we will continue to be doing. 
Um, but yeah, Tori, Tori's been kind of our publicity person. Um, if I can pronounce any words, right. Um, I'm not really involved in any of the social media stuff. Like I don't, he use, withdrew from Facebook. I don't use Facebook. He's over Twitter it now. Or, He's above it all. Now, is that a, um, that's a conscious aesthetic choice as the <laughs> artist or, or what prompted that movement away? The movement away from Facebook. Right. Um, it just gives me anxiety. Basically, <laughs> okay. I'm an anxious person and Facebook like led to some bad anxiety. So I was just like, okay, let's get away from that. Whereas I'm the opposite. I'm an anxious person. Facebook makes me feel happy because I can investigate the lives of other people and not my own. <laughs> so it's very nice, you know, when you can take that self-examination to get Because I, I mean, to go into my work, not that I want to really that much because this is about the magazine, but I'm very interested in other people. And I think that maybe is part of why I like this editorial position. I'm interested yeah. in the way other people operate and think. And when I was younger, I didn't really understand that other people thought and saw the world much differently than I did. And so it's sort of been, for me, a self-discovery process process to see, oh, you know, you have ideas that are not mine, and I want to understand how you have those ideas. And I think that's why I'm drawn to the work that we publish in the journal, because it... I see, you know, creative writing as a representation of a person's thought process, you know, and how they understand the world. And I like to be able to apprehend different ways of understanding the world. And so I think that, you know, that's why social media for me is kind of a thing that I enjoy. And I, I, I look at it as a tool for um, spreading the word about our magazine because, you know, this is a increasingly niche kind of bifurcated society. You know, everything is sort of cult appeal now, you know, because the big overarching, you know, not, you know, there's no friends, you know, or, you know, must see TV anymore, all of that stuff, you know, it's kind of fallen away. Even American Idol, you know, is falling apart. These like overarching uniting traditions. And I think that thank you for accusing all of these entities that could sue us of falling apart. I appreciate Which it. They're Move all on. amazing and wonderful. Right. But, but but yeah, I think I think what Tori I think what Tori's saying is is getting to the heart of what I think what I think both of us feel as far as being editors. And I think it's um I mean in our own work we find it um I mean uh artistically satisfying to like create work, but I think it's also equally artistically satisfying to put together work in what, what we have here as a publication, mm -hmm. um, putting together a magazine as is as much of a piece of art as anything else. Um, yeah, it's just as creative in a very kind of different way. Okay. Well, let's turn to that then let's look at some of the things that are in the magazine and get some uh, excerpts from Okay. And uh, I think Tori has some things over here that he'd like to share. <laughs> and also Alex has some things. So it's up to the two of you, which one of you would like to go first. Alex uh, looks like he's... Well, I'll just, I'm just going to read the first uh, maybe few paragraphs of a story called uh, What Became of What She Had Made by Jessica Hollander. Um, basically, I'll, I'll preface this by talking a little bit about, I guess, my editorial process. Um, I'm very, very, um, interested in the slush pile. Um, and the which, slush pile, the slush pile it, if you don't, if you do not know what the slush pile is, basically it's, it's all the manuscripts that we get that are unsolicited. Um, and that's where almost all the work that we accept on the pro site comes from is unsolicited manuscripts. Um, this story came from the slush pile. Um, Alexander Lumen's story, the American Indian is dead in this issue as well came from the slush pile. Um, Catherine Jameson's essays in here came from the slush pile. Um, basically I think that I, I don't, I don't necessarily like accepting stuff that has been solicited partially because I think that, um, it tends to, I don't know, you, you get, you get a, 
a, a better glimpse of what's going on in the publishing world if you're looking at stuff specifically from what people are sending you. Um, but I'll, I'll get off of that and <laughs> read a little bit of Jessica Hollander's story here. Lynette hadn't heard from Christine in six months and three days. There had been something of an argument, nothing abnormal. Her daughter was unpleasant on the phone, and Lynette questioned her about her life and whether she ever planned to take it seriously. She figured stubbornness had kept her daughter from calling back, or else the phone buzzed in a purse on a hook in the morgue, and Lynette really was a horrible mother. It would be her fault somehow. She almost called in a missing person, but Olivia, her other daughter, showed her how to check someone's voice messages if she could break the password. For her passwords, Christine always used the street address for their derelict little split level on the south side of Ann Arbor. The one where Lynette had spent many good hours teaching Christine in preparation for kindergarten. Olivia brought Lynette a vodka and cranberry and one for herself. They sat on Olivia's pink floral sofa, listening to Christine's messages on speakerphone while Olivia's boy Henry ran plastic farm animals violently into each other. Wet explosions punctuated Christine's messages, which included the latest hysteria from Lynette. Hello? Hello? Are you alive? This is your mother. An inquiry about a puppy Christine had apparently found and postered for in her neighborhood, and a litany from a man comparing Christina's body parts to various food and drink. Her mouth was orange soda. Her calf was a, was a smooth, curved eggplant. Um, and, I, I, I mean, this is probably the first page of that story, and I think that as soon as I read that page, I knew that I wanted to accept this story. Um, that's usually how it goes for me as far as prose goes. Um, what was there about it that made you think that you really wanted to accept it? I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I go I go by my gut. That's the same yeah. same same thing has happened when I read Alexander Lumen's story. I read the first page and I was like, this is this is something I'm going to accept. Um, and I mean, basically, if I read the first page and I'm like that, I'm going to continue through throughout the story. And um, both those stories were ones that continued to be just as wonderful on the first page and every subsequent page. Um, so. I'm a, I'm a big believer in first paragraphs. If okay. you have a good first paragraph, then um, you're going to get a lot of attention from me. So that's the advice that you'd give to anybody getting ready to submit to the slush pile is have a, a really good first paragraph. Yeah. It's got to be more than just first page. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's got to be more than just a good first line. Yeah. Okay. You're listening to Writer's Talk from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University with my guests... OSU students Tori Atkinson and Alex Strife, editors of OSU's creative writing journal called The Journal. You can learn more about The Journal via the links at www.writerstalk.org. Now, back to the interview and a sample of writing from The Journal, read by Tori Atkinson. All right, Tori, what uh, what are you going to read? Um, I'd like to read two poems if I'm allowed to. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, the first poem I'm going to read is Eliza Crossing the Ice by Brittany Cavallero. Um, this this uh, poem is available to be uh, viewed on our website now. If you go onto our issue, we have a current issue page where you can view some select work. And uh, Brittany Cavallero, I don't know a whole lot about her. She uh, is from, or she's currently an MFA student, I think, at the University of Madison uh, University of Wisconsin Madison. Yeah, I think it's Madison. Yeah, no, I know. And she's uh, starting a PhD at University of um, 
uh, Wisconsin, Milwaukee. So that's all I really know about her other than she writes great poems. So Eliza crossing the ice Saturday matinee today. She's lashed to the tracks because she ran off with the mustached man. The girl watches him labor over her body and she does not think about the train. The thick rope is so beautiful. She is bound and full as a hope chest. Inside, the pies she made from the birds he'd shot, her white ice skates, the line she dropped from her window, the line that ties her now back to her mother and to the quiet books, the belladonnas pressing in their leaves, dried larkspur from the cellar ceiling, her mother's hands pressing her gently to the ground, the tight bows tied, no cursive narration. And he's tried to unbind her, but the day's grown cold, his fingers cold, and the sound louder down the line. It isn't until he mounts his horse that she starts to yell through the bloody rag. In the theater, the piano man plays an explanation. There's a house on fire, a bordello girl. There are gold rush prospects. She's a low-hanging peach. She's never seen the lake in winter. She's never skated out a figure eight while someone watched for her to fall. But she's down, and the train comes, and the music stiffens. Quiet now. And uh, the other poem I'm going to read, um, <clears throat> and this is going to be interesting because this is, uh, well, this is a, a little bit more kind of crazy, you might say. Uh, and this is um, actually a poem by Edward Howarth Hoppener, who uh, won the OSU Journal Press Prize. I believe his book is coming out from our press this next year, and it's called Blood Prism. Um, and this poem is also available on our website. The poem is called On Top of Central High School in the Middle of the Night. There was a system... This red body was scooped out. A woman's hands opened as that strange tatter of light dropped like a feather. There was the sewing shut. Multiply the solo by a thousand lockers, maybe anger still, whirls in the depths of halls, and shame. But there was so much glow and chatter, laughter, plankton. Years flutter past. I understand there are, in some restaurants, chefs who will prepare a dish, Sushi, bright souffles, just the way you ask. I've not met one. But mark how all the particles keep moving in their unseen corridors. Mark a journey built from spines, not this map, though the people are always leaving, coming home. Any glass may hold the sea. The sun seems to rise, solidify a bit. And off the flat rooftop, stars I could barely see vanish and will not. So I'll, I'll ask the same unfair question that I asked uh, <laughs> sure. Alex. What what drew you to these poems? Well, you know it's interesting because um, the bulk of this of this uh, was selected by Kathy before I got into this position. But I found that I loved most most, if not all, the poems in this issue. Um, for me, I'm very you know. Um, I'm hesitant to say too many things because whenever you say, oh, this is the thing I like or this is the thing I don't like, then you find something that's an exception. But I can speak a little broadly about I'm just really excited by the possibilities of language, the dramatic tension of language and what language can do, the doors it opens. Um, I love poems that their connective tissue is dreamlike and mysterious and unsettling. 
Um, I like poems that, you know, feel, make me feel like there's an angry bird kind of being rattled inside me. Um, you know, poems that I, I sort of feel the wings of the bird sort of prodding up uncomfortably in my sort of chest, but in a way that's also kind of tickles, I guess. I mean, I speak a lot in metaphors because it's like kind of what I do. <laughs> I just thought of the iPhone app. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. Angry birds. Oh, okay. There's an angry bird. Okay. Yeah, not not an iPhone Sorry. app. It's like an iPhone in my chest. Sorry for bringing the conversation yeah, no, down. Really, yeah. It's like when it goes da da. No, um, but I um, I'm just really excited by language that you know is sort of trying to do something inventive and different and. Uh, for I love I love you know I love poems that are narrative I love poems that are more lyric and and less about a story, um, the tone you know I love poems that are angry you never see those like an effectively angry poem because wait a minute, you never see angry poems not like I mean, not good ones not okay. good ones not it good seems ones. like there's a lot of poems no there's a hell of a lot of angry poems but <laughs> but is it good and like the the Edward Hopner poem which I think a lot of the poems in Blood Prism seem to be about sort of anger at a society which is sort of treating sexuality in this very either in this kind of like body way like there's another poem that we're going to publish in the issue that sort of deals with the sexual fixation we have on like younger girls and how you know as a culture we sort of like both have that and then we have of course like the uh kind of like extreme news coverage of the you know poor girls who get picked up by the pedophiles and that you know and it's an interesting thing his poems have this kind of anger and Brittany's poems interesting because there's this kind of like relationship and I love relationships and poems I love I mean I I really love speak I speaker poems with yous and because I write a lot of those myself and so any poem and and any poems with erotic subtext is another thing that I'm really interested in because I feel like the erotic is such a place of transformation and vulnerability and a side of, you know, sort of transcendence even. And that poem for me, you know, there's this kind of physical activity and there's this play with the lover who's sort of like both, you know, the love giver and also the pain sort of giver. And there's that tension between pain and pleasure and between, and there's a sort of meta metafictional idea of, you know, she wants to do this activity of ice skating and is she seeing this in film and what's the relationship? I love poems that are mysterious, but not in an unproductive way, poems that are mysterious in a way that excites and sort of makes you sort of like reach out. I love poems that reach out. So that's a poem that you can solve sort of as a, as a that it's, so it's not so mysterious that you can't understand it, but it's mysterious enough that it takes work to understand it. Well, it's mysterious enough in that um, if you don't get all the answers, that's because they're not there because maybe the speaker doesn't understand, doesn't know, you know, it's very real to me in that regard. Um, so I like, I like the poems, uh, for poems like that for that reason. And, you know, I mean, I read two poems. There's so many different other kinds of poems in this issue. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope that people don't just think it's all about kind of like dark sexual play because yeah. there's plenty of like, there's a great word play. There's really intellectual sort of witty poems in the issue. Um, there's just all kinds of wonderful stuff here. Good. Yeah. We, we have a nice diversity on the poetry side, I think, yeah. um, as well as on the prose side. And I think I come at, kind of came up with a better answer to the previous question based on Tori's answer, because I think we kind of have a similar aesthetic in a lot of ways um, in that I, I look for stories that are um, grounded in reality, but have this kind of unreal weirdness to them. Mm. Um, I don't really know how to describe it. I think I think sometimes it can be described as like the the aspect of the uncanny. Um, that's something that I, I really appreciate in in fiction uh, specifically, but, but as Tori said, um, I hate putting a label on it because there's always going to be something that comes across my desk that doesn't fit into right. my, 
my personal preferences, that is still wonderful. And all. As soon as you say, oh, you know, I just can't stand another poem in a form, then we, we got this like really kooky uh, Sestina from this guy, Justin Chen. Um, I solicited that poem, actually, and it's like crazy and messy in a wonderful way. And it's like, wow, I didn't know the Sestina could do this. So, you know, you never want to say, oh, you know, you never want to, you definitely never want to make proclamation about what you don't like, because the first, as soon as you do, then something comes across your desk and it's like, wow. I have to admit that, I've long ago decided that I won't make any proclamations about Sistinas. I just, I won't do it. Well, I guess I just have. Many people are against Sistinas. (laughs) Tell me, you both have identified and you've sort of spoken to the choices that were made that seem to be the choices that you actively pursue, right? Mm -hmm. You're um, pursuing poetry, uh, Tori, Alex, you're pursuing fiction. Do you cross over? very often or do you only go to the slush pile and say oh i'm going to pull out the fiction i'm only going to pull out the poetry um i mean i'm currently working as essentially the fiction and nonfiction editor so um the prose editor yeah the prose editor um so i mean i look at fiction and nonfiction, but i've recently taken a um extreme liking to poetry um that's basically because i took uh a workshop with kathy fagan um in spring and started writing poetry myself. So I've been, I've been way more interested in the poetry side of the magazine recently than I have been in the past. And you're um, going to take that incursion into your area. Well, Tori, you're going to let him <laughs> stay out the, of my territory. You, you yeah, bearded no, I have man. I haven't, yeah. I haven't started uh, telling Tori what to do on the poetry side. Okay, and good. I think, I think I'm going to leave it to yeah, him because I don't, don't really know. Be careful. Yeah, um, I don't think I really know what I'm doing over there. So from my standpoint, it's very nice that Alex appreciates and gets poetry um, and that we can have conversations about these things mm-hmm. um, just because I feel like in our creative writing world, I mean, I think this is true of our world in general. We have these very bifurcated ideas of, Oh, if you're a math person, you can't do creative writing or literature or oh if you're like a businessman you don't have a soul you know and all these other you know i mean you know you know these sort of constructions yes yes, this is a construction that i well not heard recently okay well more often than not that's true but still um you know in any way i think one thing we one of these fictions we have is that if i'm a writer of poetry then i can't possibly like write fiction or vice versa and i think the nice thing about this program is this program the creative writing program here at osu they do encourage a lot of interdisciplinary cross-genre type of work and i think that that has really informed our editorialship um i I write poetry. I tried writing fiction a long time ago and it didn't work out very well because it was just a bunch of angry screeds about my personal life, you know, with like different names about people. Yeah, well, I think that's called creative nonfiction. <laughs> oh, <You> know, basically. <laughs> more, more or less. Just a joke. But, but um, I do actively read a lot of fiction myself. I enjoy novels and short stories. Um, and so, I, you know, when Alex selects something, I do look at it. You know, I, I, I don't, I would never tell him what to take or not take, but I, can read and, and and enjoy and see and understand. I think that that's really helpful on both sides to have someone who appreciates what the other genres work is doing and how they can come together to make a statement within a, a magazine okay. format. You're moving into the web, um, which I understand someday is going to be big. So <laughs> good move. That and, Billy Gates, man, he's going places. Yeah. You know, those interwebs will really take off someday. But the idea of poetry going online, of, of prose obviously been online, all these things have been online. What kind of impact is that having on the journal at OSU? Well, I mean, number one, the online format has in recent years started to become a way for magazines to continue to exist because of the budgetary issues that are happening right now. I believe, maybe Tori can correct me if I'm wrong here, but Tri-Quarterly's one that yeah. was, was, a print, was a print publication that went fully online 
and I'm not actually as well versed in the in the world of online publishing as I probably should be because partially because I think um, prose writers have more of a stigma against online publication than poetry writers do for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why that is at the moment. I think it could partially be due to the the ease of reading poetry online as opposed to the ease of reading. Uh, fiction online. Well, that's um, what e-readers are for now. So this is going to change. Yeah, it all. e-readers. E-readers are 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 something in themselves, and we haven't exactly gone into that no, yeah. into that yet. Um, but but reading a long story on a website is fairly difficult. We're trying to. Sorry, well, Tori. I was, no, was going to say. I think part of it also is that a lot of. And we, we have this issue in general with prose sometimes, but a lot of magazines that publish fiction can also pay their contributors who contribute fiction some amount of money. I mean, in creative writing, especially in literary publishing, there's not a lot of money to go around. But, you know, if you can make $100 off a story versus no money off a story, you might submit to the magazine where you can make that money. Um, a lot of online journals don't offer financial compensation of any kind to anyone. And so that might be part of it also. I mean, a lot of fiction writers submit to these upper echelon magazines because they pay, like, money. Where can people People get the print publication. You can go to the new website and under um, thejournalmag.org. Thejournalmag.org. You can go to the subscriptions page on the website. Alex Strife and Tori Atkinson, I want to thank you very much for being here today, the student editors of OSU's The Journal. I wish you well. I hope everything goes well for what you've got at thejournalmag.org. I got the website right? That's right, thejournalmag.org. Okay. And and thanks for having us. Yes, thank you very much for having us. Well, thank you. You've been listening to Writer's Talk from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University with my guests, OSU students Tori Atkinson and Alex Strife co-editors of OSU's creative writing journal called The Journal. More information about them can be found at www.writerstalk.org. Join us next time for guest interviewer OSU professor Nicole Kraft talking to Peabody, Emmy Award-winning correspondent and best-selling author Judy Mulder about her new book, Emus, Loose, and Eggnog, Big Stories from Small Towns. Remember, for all your emu-related news, it's Writer's Talk. Until next time, this is Doug Dangler. Keep writing.